Welcome on into the Jazz Talk Podcast. I'm your host, CJ Dieters. Now, I know that everybody is antsy to get into the offseason, talk about are the Jazz going to blow this team up? To what extent? Is Rudy gone? Is Donovan gone? Is Mike Conley gone? Uh, is Quinn Snyder leaving? All this kind of stuff. Um, and we may get a little bit into that in this episode, but, you know, the, the season just ended a few days ago. Um, and so I wanted to, to leave some time to kind of go over things, take a look back at the season, what went right, what went wrong, um, what were good decisions made by the Jazz, what were bad decisions, um, and just kind of give this season, you know, the respect that it deserves as like, not just blowing past it and going, okay, what's the next thing? We need to take some time. And, you know, and Justin Zanuck in his interview he just did with the, uh, with the media on Friday, that's what he was saying, you know, there at the time he was like, we're only 12 hours away from just getting kicked out of the playoffs. Everything is fresh. Um, we have, you know, haven't really gotten the time to just sit down and, um, just kind of take in what the season was, where the failures happened, where successes happened. Um, you know, who knew, who needs to still be part of the group, who needs to leave, all those kinds of things. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the season. We're going to talk about what the Jazz did. So I think the best place to start off with is guys that the Jazz let go this season. And I think there are some failures done here. Um, so first off, Derek Favors. Now, the biggest reason for letting Derek Favors go was, you know, he's making $9 million this year. Um, they could go out and get a different backup center for the minimum, which would save Ryan Smith a lot of money. Like, I'll be honest, it, it's a lot of money that Ryan Smith ends up saving by not keeping Derek Favors around. Um, here, I'm just going to list off the guys real quick, and then we'll go individually talking about why the impact of losing them wasn't a great thing. George Niang. George Niang struggled um, in the playoffs playing defense, but his ability to hit the three is so important to this team. And then finally, Joe Ingles. Now, Joe Ingles is a different story. Um, he tore his ACL. Um, so he is no longer going to be of use to the team. He was struggling this season to really get himself going. Um, and that happened, you know, mid-season. So that wasn't an off-season decision. But we'll get more into that. Um, so let's start with Derek Favors. So the Jazz on defense, yeah, they struggle when Rudy Gobert comes off the floor. But they struggle when Rudy Gobert comes off the floor no matter who would be the center, whether it was Tony Bradley, Ed Davis, Hassan Whiteside, Derek Favors. Um, really, the only times that I think that they wouldn't get absolutely destroyed um, is if they had like Giannis or Anthony Davis or something like that. That would be the only time where they'd be close to equal to what they have with Rudy Gobert. I mean, he's the best defensive player in the world. And their defense is based around shuttling everything inside to him um, and letting him handle basically everything. Um, and so, you know, it's a tall task to ask of anybody to handle that. Now, 
we'll get into Hassan Whiteside a little later. The defense was a little better when Hassan was in there, but the offense was way down from what it was last year with Derek Favors. I would say at worst they were a net neutral between the two guys, but I think they were I'll have to go back and look at the numbers, but I think they were more positive with Derek Favors because that offense just ran so smoothly. And the biggest reason for that is Derek is extremely intelligent. He tries really hard. Um, he knows exactly where to be on the floor. Now, yeah, he's got, you know, three or four inch disadvantage to Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside's a better athlete, but he's not nearly as intelligent. He has nowhere to be on the floor. He gives up on plays. Uh, so then George Niang. Um, so George Niang was a... 43% three-point shooter last year for the Jazz. The guys that they tried to replace him with, you got Juan Hernan Gomez later on in the year. He's like a 35, 34% three-point shooter. Um, for his career, Rudy Gay is a 37%. Um, later in his career, he's gotten a little higher, but not much. And then Eric Pascal, not a great shooter this year. I think he was at 37%. Um, and so you're already giving up a lot by moving to one of those guys at the three-point end. Now, you know, I think Pascal's a better defender than him. Hernan Gomez is probably a little bit better defender than George Nang was, but Rudy Gay was so old that um, it really he really wasn't a better defender than George Nang was. And I think that's the big reason they didn't play him in the first round of the playoffs. Um, but one thing that you got that I think is probably the most important with all three of these guys, Derek Favors, George Nang, Joe Ingles. They were kind of the culture setters for the team last year. These are guys that like to keep it lighthearted. They like to make jokes. They have a great attitude. Um, you know, you never see them hanging their head and giving up on plays. They're fighters. Um and that's something the Jazz lost this year, and I think that's a big reason why this team just never seemed to be together this season. Uh, honestly, if it was me, and uh, you know, I could go back to that offseason, I probably would have sent Joe Ingles away at that point and tried to clear the money with him and kept Derek Favors and George Nangrand. But, of course, that's looking at everything in hindsight at that time. I was okay with letting George Nian go because I, I didn't fully see the impact he had on the locker room. And then just the impact he had on spacing on the floor uh, when he was in the game. So next, let's get into the guys that the Jazz brought in. Uh, so first off, let's start with Hassan Whiteside. So Hassan Whiteside, he's seven foot one. He's athletic. He's very long. He blocks a lot of shots. He pulls down a lot of rebounds, but he's a space cadet. Uh, you know, he he loses focus all the time. He easily gets frustrated. Um, you know, Quinn Snyder, the way he likes to play Rudy Gobert is play him in three stints. So basically what I mean by that is first five minutes of the game, Rudy's in. Hassan will come in for four or whoever the backup center is at that point. Rudy will go back out for six. Hassan will come back out for four. Rudy will go back out and finish the last five minutes of the half. Second half, exactly the same. That's the way he does it. He doesn't mess with it. And Hassan Whiteside didn't like the fact 
that he would get things going in those four minutes, and he'd get immediately pulled out. Even though, I know, before he signed, Quinn Snyder told him that many, many times, that this is the role that he was going to be signing up for, you know, and then throughout the season, he was told many times, like, this is the role that you signed up for. You're the backup center to Rudy Gobert. You're just there to help make sure the team doesn't get destroyed in the 16 minutes that he's not going to play during the regular season. When we get into the playoffs, it's going to be more like 10 or 12 minutes that he's not playing. And you would see Hassan kind of throw mini fits sometimes when he'd get pulled out. And it, and again, it was never like Quinn was never saying, oh, you're playing so horribly, I'm pulling you out now. It was just, this is the way our system works. Rudy's got to get some rest during the game, but we got to keep him out there as much as possible. Um, now, if you go back to what I was saying about this signing um, during the summer, this is the exact same stuff I was worried about. Um, I know Hassan Whiteside, when he's focused, he's one of the best centers in the league. When he's on it, when he's focused, when he's in the game, when he knows his assignment and he gets after it, he's a guy that can go out there and give you 20 points and 20 rebounds in a game. And block a, a bunch of shots in the meantime. Um, but he just he's just so immature at most points. And that's something you did not have to deal with with Derek Favors. Derek Favors, even though he's a lighthearted guy and he, he likes to choke around, he's not an immature guy. Um, two totally different people, Derek Favors and Hassan Whiteside. Um, the other signing was Rudy Gay. Now, I went back and I listened to my episode um, that I recorded when they signed Rudy Gay because I wanted to see, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be a hypocrite when I started talking badly about it. Um, but in that episode, I bring up the fact that, you know, he is 6'8", he's 250, he's a big guy. Um, he has the ability to do some versatile things, but I kept bringing up the fact that he is 35 years old. He's not anywhere near the athlete he was as a young man. Um, and we saw that this year, um, he never could really get into a groove. Um, he'd have one good, really good game. And then the next game he looked tired and slow. Um, and by the time they got to the playoffs, he wasn't in the rotation anymore. They were given all those minutes to Juan Hernan Gomez. And when they went small, uh, a few different times, um, instead of going to Rudy Gay at the center, they went to Eric Pascal because those guys at least brought a ton of effort. Rudy Gay just kind of wanted to coast on the fact that he was such an amazing athlete. Um, it's exactly the same as when the Jazz brought in Jeff Green a few years ago. Um, Jeff Green is a guy that was just an insane athlete. Um, and if you just let him go do his thing, yeah, you could put up numbers. But as soon as you started to ask him to play within a system, especially Quint Snyder's system, that asks you to be so regimented and be in your spot, spacing the floor at all times, doing your job, and then going and playing hard defense, neither of those guys worked out. And that's why I was worried about the signing of Rudy Gay in the summer, especially because they signed him for three years. And from everything I've heard, um, the last few weeks of the season, Rudy Gay basically just gave up on the team. Um, you know, most guys were showing up three, four hours before the game for shoot-around. Rudy Gay was showing up like an hour before. Basically, he was basically showing up the minimum or the 
Anyway, he was showing up to games late as he possibly could without getting fined by the team, basically. Um, so he basically just collected a paycheck this year, and I'm sure the Jazz are going to find a way to trade him out. Now, since they are planning on moving some big deals around, I think that he can just be kind of a throw-in to a deal, and you don't really have to give up any draft picks or anything like that to get off of him like they have in the past with Tony Bradley's contract or Derek Favors' contract. Um, so next, let's talk about Eric Paschal. I freaking love Eric Paschal. Um, I would love to have him back with the Jazz, and I think at some points they didn't use him enough. Um, now, he's not a great three-point shooter, which kind of hurts um, his ability to get on the floor, but man, does he play hard. He plays so hard every single minute he's out there. He gets after. He plays hard on the defensive end. On the offensive end, you can just throw him the ball, and he's going to force his way to the bucket and go get himself two points. Um, I really like Eric Pascal, and I'd love to see him back with the Jazz. Uh, Juan Hernan Gomez. So he was involved with the trade uh, with Joe Ingles. Um, at the time, I've said this before, I thought he was just a throw-in. I thought the Jazz were going to end up uh, – buying him out of his contract because I, I figured he was just part of the deal to make the money work so that they could get Nikhil Alexander-Walker. By the time they were in the playoffs, he was a normal part of the rotation, and he played some big-time minutes for them in the playoffs. Um, now he was only playing like 10 or 12 minutes, but, I mean, going from being a guy that didn't get to play at all in uh, um, Boston, not playing hardly at all with the Spurs. The Spurs sent him away just to get off of his contract to the Trailblazers, then the Trailblazers added him into the, uh, or no. The Spurs still had him. They added him into that deal. It was a three-way deal. My bad. Um, but he he brings a lot of effort. He brings a lot of the same intangible skills that um, Joe Ingles brought, where he's long. He can handle the ball a little bit. He's a good passer. He can hit some threes. He's not nearly the same shooter that Joe Ingles was. Um, now, he is on a team option for this next year um, for $7 million, which basically means that the Jazz can pick up his team option. Uh, he'll play that one year. Or what they could do, and this is what I'd like to see them do, is decline the team option, but before they decline it, Basically, come up with a deal with him and his agent. Be like, hey, you know, three years, $8 million, you know, so a little under three per year to come back and play for the Jazz. I would at least offer it to him. If he's not interested, then I'd probably just decline him. I think you can replace him, but I do like him. I think he kind of fits that Jazz DNA. Um, but if they're not able to keep him that way, I would probably just let him go. There's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna pay him seven million dollars again next year. He's just he's not that good of a player. He's just a guy that you like having in the locker room, that you like having out on the floor because of the hustle he brings. Um, let's see, and then finally, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, and then we'll get into some of the rookies as well here soon. Uh, <clears throat> Nikhil Alexander-Walker was part of that Joe Ingles trade. Now, we really didn't get to see much of him this year, at least. Um, it seems like what they, you know, so when he was in New Orleans, they were 
they were just looking for stars. They were trying to create a star out of anybody they could find. Um, and so they tried to make him this big-time scorer, um, you know, guy that handles the ball in isolation, that type of thing. Now, he does have some of those skills, but what I think the Jazz want to turn him into is a longer, more athletic Royce O'Neal. Um, now, he's not nearly as strong as Royce is, but he's a better shooter. He's a better ball handler. Um, he's about two inches taller, and he's younger. He's only 23 this year. He'll be 24 next year. Uh, but, again, we didn't get to see much of him this year, so it'll be interesting to see what the Jazz want to do with him this summer. He also, if there's a way to get like another star to join the group, he may be thrown into a deal um, as an enticement, um, since they really don't have any draft picks to throw um, into trades. Next, let's go ahead and talk about Jared Butler. So the Jazz drafted Jared Butler, number or 40th overall um, in this year's draft. Now, he didn't get a ton of time um, this year, uh, mostly because the Jazz guard rotation is pretty filled up with Donovan, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, and then Trent Forrest came along as the year went on. So he didn't get much time. But when he was out there, he definitely showed that he has the ability to go out there and be a microwave scorer. Um, he can put up points. He can put them up fast. Um, you know, he's he's going to struggle a little bit on the defense bend just because he's a smaller guy. He's still about 6'3", so he's not tiny, but... Um, you're going to have to put him out there with Nikhil Alexander-Walker or with, uh, you know, a bigger um, bigger wing-type player um, just so he's not getting super exposed out there. Um, but I like Jared Butler. He's got one more year left on his contract. But he, just like Nikhil Alexander-Walker and like Yudo Kazibuki, they may be, he may be a throw-in to a trade to entice somebody um, to, to accept a trade from the Jazz. Because, again, the Jazz really don't have a ton of draft picks to offer um, along with the players that they're trading out. Um, and then finally, let's talk about um, Daniel House. Daniel House was awesome for the Jazz this year. Um, he got he ended up getting bought out by the Houston Rockets. You know, they're going on this this totally different uh, adventure as a team. You know, they got, they're getting rid of all their veterans. Um they're collecting draft picks. They already have some good young-looking players and Jalen Green and Alperen Sengun. Um, and so Daniel House wasn't needed. The Knicks brought him in on a 10-day. And when that happened, I was, it was like, ah, oh, crap. I, I wanted Daniel House on the Jazz. I'm sure that the Knicks would pick him up. They, they ended up not. So the Jazz brought him in on a 10-day. And then they brought him on another 10-day. And I think they brought him in on like four total 10-days because the the rules were different this year with COVID and all that kind of stuff. And then they signed him for the rest of the year. And by the time we got to the playoffs, there were a lot of games where he was finishing instead of Royce O'Neal. Um, There's a lot of games in the playoffs where he was playing like 20, 25 minutes. Um, so I would love to see him back with the jazz. I love his energy, his defense. Um, he seems like a positive guy, but he also seems like a guy that's very fiery and, and Tense, and that's what the Jazz need. They don't have many super intense guys, and Daniel House was a welcome addition to the team. So next, let's let's look at the season as a whole. Um, so this season, the Jazz 
again, they added more talent. You know, Rudy Gay is more talented than George Niang. Son Wysay is more talented than Derek Favors. You know, they, they were the first seed in the in the West last year. They had the sixth man of the year. They had the defense player of the year. Uh, they had three all-stars. There was so much expectation for this team that they were going to win a championship or at least get really close. And you could tell that because they knew they had all this talent and there was no longer this, the carefree guys that were joking around and keeping the energy light um, around the team, that they were just tense all the time. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest reason why they gave up so many fourth-quarter leads. Um, they had a lot of games where they were up by at least 15 points where they gave it up that lead and ended up losing. Um, most in the league, by far, too. And I think it was just because they were so tense. There was so much expectation put on them, but they didn't like each other. Um, at least, you know, they didn't have that great bond that they had before. It was, you know, they were business partners. They weren't teammates. They weren't, you know, friends um, on this group anymore. Um, and I think that's, you know, they would get this big lead going because they had more talent. But then the other team would come back. And instead of just playing, like, carefree and just being like, okay, we'll run the offense. We'll take care of this. You know, we'll get a few stops. It became this, you know, just this white-knuckled, just, you know, can't can't get a stop we can't get the ball to go in you know i'm gonna be the guy that goes out there and i'm gonna i'm gonna make the bucket so you know donovan will go down there not pass the ball throw up a bad shot you know and then the next time bogey would come down and throw up a bad shot and it and before you know it the jazz are down by you know six points with a minute left after after being up by 18 with nine minutes left in the game um and I think that's that, that was the main thing the whole season. They were just they were so tense, they were so wound up. There it was just like we have to win a championship this year. Um, that's the expectation; it has to happen. And it wasn't. They couldn't just go out there and play basketball. Um, I think that's what really plagued this team this year. Um. Yeah, that's that's really all I have to say on this team. Like, it was a, it, of course, it's a long season. There's a lot of stuff I could go into, but overall, that's that's the main thing with this group was they were just so tense, and so just worried all the time about being the absolute best. They weren't worried, you know, they weren't playing carefree basketball. So going into this summer. Um, and we'll get way more in depth into this stuff as, as the off season gets going. I mean, we're just into the second round of the playoffs, so they can't make trades right now. They can't sign free agents right now. They can't make draft picks or anything like that. So right now is the time to take a look at the season as a whole and make a long detailed plan out of how they're going to attack this off season. Personally, I'm going to tell you, though, the way I would approach approach this offseason if I'm the Jazz, you got to keep Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell together. You have two stars, top 20 players in their 20s with long contracts left. I think you got to keep those two together, at least for now. 
you know, I would, I would try at least two more seasons with them. If it doesn't really work out, then, then, you know, if, if Donovan wants to be out, then you can move him or whatever, you know, you need to do. Um, I would like to keep Bogdanovich around. Now, I don't think, I think if you can get somebody amazing to put next to Rudy and Donovan, like if you could put Bogdanovich and Mike Conley and your two first round picks that you can trade together and go get like Paul George or somebody of that ilk, um, I would do that. Um, but I, for the most part, my plan going in would be we're going to keep Bogdanovich around. Finally, the last guy I think is essential to keep around would be Jordan Clarkson. Now, if you've listened to this this podcast before, I've not always been the biggest fan of Jordan Clarkson. He's He can be a ball hog. Um, his defense isn't great. But he is like the only guy left from that old group that brings the lightheartedness. He brings the joking attitude. Um, and man, um, this playoff series, he was the only guy that could really step up and go get buckets. Donovan couldn't hit anything. Um, for most of the series, Bogdanovich had a lot of troubles. Mike Conley was horrible in the playoffs. But Jordan Clarkson went out there and he kept fighting. Um, and he was able to to keep the Jazz at least in it, give them a fighting shot. Um, you know, of course, they just weren't able to pull it off. Um, so those those are the four guys I would go forward with. But Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gay, um, Sunwise is a free agent, Daniel House is a free agent, Eric Pascal is a free agent, Jared Butler, Alexander Walker, all these guys, I would be willing to trade them to build a whole brand new team around Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and possibly Bogdanovich and Clarkson. Now, I think the biggest thing that the Jazz need to do is they need to make Donovan Mitchell the full-time point guard and put a big wing defender type guy um, next to him. Somebody that can take on the defense it's not going to get completely destroyed like Mike Conley was on the defense. Because Mike, I love Mike Conley, but he's he's just old and he's small. Um, there, you know, I'm, but I know that there's going to be a team out there that is really close, like the Clippers. They're really close to having this amazing team that I'm sure would be really interested in adding a guy like Mike Conley. Um, but what I think the Jazz need to be looking for, they need to be adding a big wing that can help defensively. Um, they can take on, you know, guys like LeBron, Jason Tatum, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, can take on these, these top tier matchups. Um, and then also be a little bit of help as secondary rim protector. So I think the main guys that I need to be looking at here are Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes, um, Jonathan Isaac, you know, guys like this, um, they can go out there and they can still be very helpful offensively or even one of your better players offensively, but their biggest contribution would be on the defensive end, taking a lot of pressure off of Rudy, taking a lot of pressure off of Donovan Mitchell, especially. Um, and then I think the, the team as a whole, you need to build it around long, 
athletic guys. Um, it needs to, we we need to stop having so many guys under you know six five on this team. We need to have more guys you know six 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 seven plus uh, that are athletic that can defend. You know maybe they're not great three point shooters, but you know they at least have the athleticism to help create wide open three point shots for other guys. Um, but again, like I said, we'll get more into the the stuff like that um, later on as the summer gets going here. Um, but I just wanted to take qu- quickly take a look back at this Jazz team this season. Um, bit of a disappointing season, but they're still a 50-win team. But Well, 49 wins, but basically 50-win team. This isn't a bad team. This isn't a team that you need to completely tear apart. Nothing is sal- salvageable. Um, they just need to reimagine. That's the word I, I think we need to, to think about with this team. Is they need to reimagine how to build a team around Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah, with that, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day, and go Jazz!